and welcome to another broadcast of Sunshine USA. This is me, Warren Landis, your host and Bible teacher here on this podcast that we call Sunshine USA. And as usual, it is so great for me to uh, welcome you to the program. And I'm glad that you're making this program part of your activities for today. Uh, it is never a mistake to spend time uh, with others studying the Word of God. It will strengthen you spiritually, and of course your knowledge of the Word of God will increase as well. And so it is time well invested. Now, of course, I hope that you spend a lot more time studying the Word than just what we do here on this program. But many of you have sent me emails and text messages saying that you use this time as a kickstart for your own personal Bible study time, and that's a great thing. Now, today we're going to be taking up two chapters instead of just one. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and also 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And the reason we're doing both of these chapters together is because I think you're going to see that both of these chapters deal with the subject of stewardship. It deals with the subject of stewardship. It deals with the subject of giving money to the Lord. Now let's start reading 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. Now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches of Macedonia. They are being tested by many <clears throat> troubles, and they are very poor. But they are also filled with the abundant joy which has overflowed in rich generosity. Now here Paul is using the churches in Macedonia as an example for the church of Corinth. These are churches that are going through difficult times, very trying times, and in addition to that, they're very poor. They don't have a lot of money. And yet, they have given in such a way to show that they are very, very generous. Now, you know, I've been around the block enough times in the ministry to know that a lot of times your biggest offerings, your biggest offerings will come from people that you least expect. Sometimes uh, the poorest people will give the biggest offerings. So you can't, you know, simply assume that someone is going to give a lot of money to your ministry because they are wealthy, because they might also be very stingy. And you can't assume that someone that is poor will not be able to support your ministry financially, because you'll be surprised how sacrificially they can give. Amen. But nonetheless, he is using the churches here in Macedonia to serve as an example to the church at Corinth. Um, he says in verse 3, For I could testify they gave not only what they could afford, but far more, and they did it on their own free will. Now this, of course, lets us know that there's two important co components here to Christian giving. One is the fact that they don't limit themselves to what they are able to give. In other words, a 
person who is truly right with God and has a generous spirit will generally tend to give very generously. Very generously. Um, and that was what was happening here at the church uh, at the churches in Macedonia. Plus, they gave of their own free will. Paul was not making this compulsory. Now, it does stand to reason that this is a special offering to help poor, suffering Christians in Jerusalem. In other words, this is a benevolent offering. It's like the kind of offering your church would take up for a family in your church that you know to be in tremendous need. Maybe they need help with the rent, or maybe they need help with the utility bill. So you're passing the bucket for a special offering. This is not a offering for the church budget. This is not the tithe and offering type of offering. But rather this is a special offering and so the people are being told to give what they can afford and to give of their own volition. Paul isn't commanding anybody to give. He is certainly giving them that opportunity if they choose to do so. He says they begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. That's in verse 4. Notice that Christians who give the way God wants them to give, they see this as an opportunity that they want to take advantage of. In other words, it will bring them great joy to give a relief offering to the Christians that were in Jerusalem. Now, some people might ask, why were these Christians in Jerusalem in such dire need? I mean, after all, these were Jewish believers, and, you know, most of them, throughout most of their lives, had done pretty good financially. But they were living in a time of great persecution. In fact, the persecution was so great and so severe that most Christians living in Jerusalem fled to other countries. They fled to other parts of the known world at that time to avoid the persecution. But there were some that felt it necessary to remain in Jerusalem. And those that chose to remain in Jerusalem faced all kinds of persecution. Typically speaking, they were unable to find jobs, if they were self-employed, uh, people would generally boycott whatever products or services they dealt with. It was a time of great suffering. And Paul recognized that these believers needed help. And so he spearheads a campaign to raise money for the saints in Jerusalem. Now, some people would say, why would Paul do this? I mean, after all, the Jews were not exactly friendly to Paul. I mean, the Jews hated Paul for the most part. And I think that's one of the reasons why God chose 
to use Paul as an apostle to the Gentiles because the Lord knew human nature. And knowing human nature, like the Lord did, he knew the Jews were not apt to support his ministry. And yet Paul wanted these Jews to know that he loved them and that he cared about them. And he was hoping that maybe in some small way this would make up for the years of persecution that he had put them through. You'll recall Paul earlier in his life, before he had that conversion to Christ on the road to Damascus, he had persecuted quite a few Christians in his day. Many of the Jewish families knew of family members who had been executed by Paul. And others had spent years in prison under the leadership of Paul as a Pharisee of the Pharisees. So the Jews, by and large, as a whole, they hated Paul. Now you would think if Paul acted like the typical human being, these were the last people on earth that Paul would try to help. But you know, one of the trademarks that we have as Christians is that we love our enemies and we want to do good for them that hate us. And that is exactly what Paul is trying to do here. Okay, let's read on. Uh, they did even more than we'd hoped. For their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us, just as God wanted them to do. Now notice here, in verse 5, that Paul starts out by leading these Christians at Macedonia to get right to the Lord and get loyal to his ministry. He knew that when Christians got right with God, then they would become the givers that the Lord wanted them to be. You know, back in the days when checking accounts were more common than they are today, back in the old days, I mean, just about everything was paid for by a check. And you could look at a person's checkbook and you could tell where their allegiance was. Not so easy to do that today. I mean, I, I'm thinking about my own situation. I write one check a month as a general rule. And the one check that I write every month is to uh, my landlord to pay the rent on my apartment. And that's really the only bill these days that I pay for by check. Everything else is done online or it's paid for by cash. Or in some cases I use a debit card. So it's very hard to look at a person's checkbook alone to see where they stand spiritually. But Paul knew that as a general rule, when people got right with the Lord, then they would give as they would be expected to give as a Christian. Now, if you're a pastor and you're constantly having to beg and plead with your people to give, these are people that have to get right with God first. Because once they get right with God, they will automatically have a desire 
to do the right thing financially. In fact, many of them will give very sacrificially once they get right with God. But trying to beg these people to give when you know they're not right with God is really, frankly, a waste of your time because it's not going to happen. You know, one question I've often asked myself, if every member of the church gave no more than what I give to the church each year, would our church have enough money to do what it needs to do? It's always a good question to ask yourself. Okay, let's let's read on. Verse 6, So we urge Titus, who encouraged your giving in the first place, and refer and, and return to you to encourage you to finish this ministry of giving. That's in verse 6. Notice Paul calls this the ministry of giving. A lot of people don't realize that giving is a ministry. For example, you might be in a situation where because of your health, you can't go to the mission fields in Africa or South America or Central America or wherever. But you do have some money and therefore you could give your money to the church to go to these missions overseas and therefore giving becomes a ministry. When you give money to your church, you are supporting your church financially and you're giving them the money that they need to do the work that you expect a church to do, including, of course, the paying of salaries to the pastor and other people on the church staff. Now, in my case here at this ministry, Sunshine USA, and I I know I've said this before and it bears repeating, I don't receive a salary from Sunshine USA to host this radio program. I don't. I do it of my own free will, and I do it for only one reason, well, really two reasons. Number one, I love God, and number two, I love you. I have a desire to help you grow in your knowledge of the Word of God. That's why I do what I do. I don't get a paycheck. I don't get a salary, and I never expect it. Like many of you, I draw a Social Security check every month, my retirement check, And that's what I live on. Amen. And my Social Security is the only income that I have. So, I mean, that pays the bill. It pays my rent. It pays for my meals, etc. So I don't need an income for doing this program. Now, your pastor, on the other hand, he probably needs you to support the church with your giving so that he could draw a paycheck. Because, I mean, after all, God expects him to financially and materially support his family, his wife and kids. And that's not going to happen for him unless you give what the Lord lays it on your heart to give. That's why Paul refers to this as the ministry of giving. Now, I might also add that that giving can be called a form of worship. For example, we know in most churches today, the offering is collected during the worship service. And that really is as it should be, because you see, giving is an act of worship. We worship God through the money that we give to the ministry of our church. Now, another thing I'll point out about the Sunshine USA ministry, I have never asked anybody 
give money to Sunshine USA instead of giving money to their local church. I've never done that and I never will do that. Because for you as a Christian, your giving begins, first of all, with the local church. And then, to the degree that you can after that, then you can support other ministries such as Sunshine USA. Amen. Okay, now, let's move on. Since you excel in so many ways in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love for us, I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. I am not commanding you to do this, but I am testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of other churches. You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty you could uh, so that by his poverty you could make you rich. Here's my advice. It would be good for you to finish what you started a year ago. Last year you were the first who wanted to give. And you were the first to begin doing it. Now you should finish what you started. That's in verse 11. Let the eagerness you showed in the beginning be matched by how you're giving, give in proportion to what you have. Now, notice what Paul says here to the church at Corinth. He says, finish what you have started. Finish what you have started. In other words, you started a year ago giving money to the cause of helping these poor saints in Jerusalem. But now apparently a year later, the results are not that impressive. They started out giving well, giving generously, even sacrificially. But in recent months, it seems that this church had slacked off and was now not doing anything at all. So that is why Paul is telling the believers at Corinth to finish what they have started. Now, you know, that would be a sermon in and of itself, to finish what you have started. For example, I know uh, many who have gone into the ministry and after going into the ministry, they somehow got caught up in secular work and now they're doing secular work and not ministry. I know some young ministers who started out pursuing an education but didn't finish. I, I could tell you about churches that started building some great buildings but didn't finish. <laughs> in fact, up until recently, there was a church here in Greenville that had a partially completed building on their campus. Now, what had happened was this church started off building this building. They were doing it on a pay-as-you-go basis. And at first, they gave enough money to get the building started. But then 
they weren't able to finish the building. And so it really became a laughing stock. And every time people saw this partially completed building, they said, well, they started it, but they couldn't finish it. But that is why Paul is telling these believers at Corinth to finish what you have started. You've started it. You've done well. You took a step of faith. And now we see that Paul is wanting the believers to finish what they have started. To finish what they have started. Now, I don't know how this applies to you. It may very well be that God called you into ministry, but before you could get started in the ministry good, you got involved in a well-paying job. And as a result, you have worked all these years for a big corporation instead of working in the ministry as God called you. Now might be the day that you need to try to do what you can to finish that which you have started. That becomes a very important thing for you to do. Finish what you have started. Don't let the devil keep you from doing what God has ultimately called you to do. And I sort of take the position it's never too late to do the right thing. It's never too late to do the right thing. You know, maybe God called you into the ministry when you were a teenager and now here you are in your 50s. You've been doing secular work all these years. It's not too late to begin serving God in the ministry if that is what God has called you to do. In other words, it's never too late to do the right thing. Amen. Finish what you have started. Okay, now let's read on. Um, let the eagerness you showed at the beginning be matched now by your giving. Give in proportion to what you have. In other words, the more God has blessed you financially, the more you should give. In other words, if you make $100 a week, God doesn't expect you to give the same amount of money that a millionaire is going to give to the Lord. Paul is saying here, give in proportion to what you have. And of course, this giving was to be voluntary. It says, whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly. And give according to what you have, not what you don't have. In other words, God doesn't expect you to be foolish in your giving. Right now, I mean, I'm thinking of someone who is on the verge of homelessness and they gave a very big gift to a Christian ministry. And frankly, it was a gift bigger than what they could really afford to give. And of course, remember for example, if you're a husband, God expects you to support your wife and kids. 
don't give so much money to the Lord's work that you don't have time or you don't have the money to support your wife and kids. Take care of your obligations in addition to giving to the Lord's work. Don't take money that was meant for your rent and give it instead to some ministry. You know, it's almost like the lady that went to the church and said, I need you to help me pay the rent because last week I took the rent money and gave it to the church. So the Lord doesn't mind you being sensible with your giving. Give with your priorities in place. Okay? He says, I don't mean that your giving should make life easy for others and hard for yourselves. I only mean that there should be some equality. Right now you have plenty and you can help those who are in need. Later, they may have plenty and can share with you when you need it. In this way, things will be equal. As the scripture says, those who gathered a lot had nothing left over. And those who gathered only a little had enough. And then starting in verse 16, and basically for the rest of the chapter, Paul talks about Titus going with him to the church at Jerusalem to deliver this offering. So we have Paul and Titus and those that worked for Paul and Titus. Here they are going to Jerusalem with a very sizable offering. Now I want you to notice what Paul says here. He says, We are traveling together to guard against any criticism for the way we are handling this generous gift. We are careful to be honorable before the Lord, but also we want everyone to see that we are honorable. So you see, Paul is taking steps to see to it that proper care is taken so that no one person is tempted to take this money and spend it on themselves. One of the things that I would say is that a pastor should never have direct access to the church's money. Because if anything comes up missing, the first person they're going to look at is the pastor. And I think in general, no one person should ever have sole access to the church's money. In most churches nowadays, when a check is written, it requires the signatures of two authorized people, people that are authorized to sign. Now, you might, in fact, have three or four people in your church that are authorized to sign checks, but at least two signatures are required for each transaction. Once again, this helps to ensure that no one person absconds with the money. You see, Paul is teaching us that we're not only to refrain from evil, we are to refrain from the very appearance of evil. Amen. So God does expect us to be very uh, prudent. That's one of the reasons why I feel led of the Lord 
to legally incorporate this ministry so that we would have a board of directors who would be responsible for deciding as a group how many will be spent and how many collected will be dispensed. And I just think this is an honorable thing to do. Okay, now we come to chapter 9. And once again, stewardship is the theme of chapter 9, just like it is in chapter 8. That's why today I felt led of the Lord to do chapters 8 and 9 together. Here Paul says, I really don't want to write to you about this ministry of giving for the believers in Jerusalem, for I know how eager you are to help. I have been boasting to the churches in Macedonia that you in Greece were ready to send an offering a year ago. In fact, it was your enthusiasm that stirred up many of the Macedonian believers to begin giving. But I am sending these brothers to you to be sure you really are ready, as I have been telling them, and that your money is all collected. I don't want to be wrong about my boasting about you. We would be embarrassed, not to mention your own embarrassment, if some Macedonian believers came to me and found that you weren't ready after all that I had told them. Skipping down to verse 6, Paul says, Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much you give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Now, Paul makes it very clear he's not begging them to give. He's not commanding them to give. He's not trying to verbally coerce them into giving. Because as Paul is indicating here, if a Christian is truly right with God, they are going to want to give what the Lord tells them to give. And they will do this eagerly, they will do it sacrificially, and they will do it voluntarily. And they will do it as an example to others. Now, Paul mentions here, he's been bragging to the churches in Macedonia how generous these believers were in, in, in the church at Corinth. And he says, I don't want to be embarrassed after doing all this bragging about you, that you come up and don't give hardly anything at all. And he says, likewise, that should be embarrassing to you as well. So this becomes very, very important. He says, as a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God for your generosity to them and to all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. And they will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace God has given to you. Thank God for this gift to wonderful for words. 
Now, he also points out to the believers in Corinth that since they currently have a lot of money, they should give more. He says, now the day may come when the people you're giving to now become prosperous and they can help you at a time when you become in need. Paul also says to remember that if you spare sowingly, you're going to reap sparingly. I don't know if I said that right. (laughs) In other words, some people reap in a way that is very sparing. But they're also very sparingly going to reap if they don't give more generously. So as you can see, this ninth chapter in 2 Corinthians deals with stewardship, the same as chapter 8. And that is why I chose to do these two chapters together. Now next time we will be in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. But first of all, for next time, if you haven't read 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9 already, I need you to go ahead and do so. And then go ahead and read chapter 10. Now, of course, if you have a a Bible study question, if you have uh, a praise report, a testimony you would like to share, the best way to do that is by email. And I have two email addresses. One is warnlandis at yahoo.com, and the other one is warnlandis at gmail.com. Now, you can also contact me by snail mail. My snail mail address is warnlandis, 80 Thruston Street, that's T-H-R-U-S-T-O-N, 80 Thruston Street, apartment 8510, Greenville, South Carolina, 29605. Now, if you want to, you can also... Call me direct. I'm probably one of the very few TV and radio preachers that will give you my home phone number so that you can call me if you need somebody to talk to. You know, sometimes you're going to find as a Christian you just need somebody to talk to. Or you want to ask a preacher a question. Or you've come across something in the Bible that You need an explanation for. And maybe that's where I can help. It's a free ministry. Just give me a call. The phone number is 864-608-2102. That's 864-608-2102. Now, if I don't answer, be sure to leave me a message on my voicemail, and I'll get back with you just as quickly as I can. Well, until next time, this is Warren Landis saying goodbye. God bless you. But don't fret, none, because you know what? I'm going to see you next time on Sunshine USA.